Superhero movies, man, we talked already that today we're kicking off our At The Movies series, uh, and our goal for this series is there's a lot of really awesome, important things that we want to talk about, about God and from the Bible, uh, but as a springboard to get there, we're going to use some themes from some movies uh, that, that you may love, uh, and so we're talking about some... Uh, superhero movies this year. We do this every year. Last year we did 80s movies, and you might remember uh, the visit of uh, Huey Lewis and the News, those two guys who were here. Um, and uh, so, so uh, we're talking about superheroes. Each week the goal is to kind of um, unveil on Sunday morning which superhero we're going to use, and so kind of make that little anticipation bleed, leading up to it. But I'm curious, before we unveil this morning's superhero, do you have a favorite superhero? Who is your favorite superhero? You can shout it out. Who is it? Greenland, Iron Man, yeah. Wolverine, Batman, yeah, these are some of my favorites. Anybody else? Yeah, oh, Hulk, yeah. Hulk smash. All right, so uh, I hope we pick one of your favorites. I hope that we do. If we don't, then uh, we'll just have to keep going. We keep, we'll, we'll do this thing for 27 weeks, and we'll do every superhero. Uh, no, that would be ridiculous. But um, this morning, our superhero uh, is one of my favorites. He's a, a new favorite of mine. And I'm rocking my shirt this morning because this morning we're talking about Captain America. Any Cap fans in the house? All the cool kids call him Cap, just so you know. But they also let me call him Cap, too. Uh, uh, the, uh, the Captain America story is, is, is an interesting one. My guess is, like I said, he was a fairly recent favorite of mine. Uh, my guess is, if you're a fairly casual follower of superhero storylines, you didn't know much about Captain America until more recent movies have just come out. There wasn't a whole lot said about him unless you really followed certain comic books or you just were in a circle where you talked about him a lot. I know I didn't know much about him. I thought he was just kind of a glorified like copycat of Superman that didn't fly. Like I'm like, I'm not really sure. He doesn't wear a cape. I'm not really. But, but his story is actually pretty intriguing, pretty awesome. Uh, and he's become more popular because of this big thing that's going on. You might not be aware of this. You might have kind of picked up on it, but didn't know. Uh, Marvel, the, the comic book company Marvel, and the, the comic book universe Marvel is in a series of movies right now called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Did you know this? The Marvel Cinematic Universe. And what it is, is it's this huge project overlapping uh, a couple dozen movies where uh, storylines and characters and plot lines and overarching details of the story all come together so if you see all the movies, you've seen a huge story play out, kind of like the comic book world does. So it's kind of cool how they're doing that. We actually have had 13 of these movies come out so far. It might seem like 13. Yeah, it's been 13. There's been a lot of these movies come out, and there's still, I think, something like 23 left to come. Uh, if, if you needed to know, we are now in phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I learned that this week, and uh, I know you're very impressed. Um, but but we, uh, we're in this phase three, but this first, the first phase especially was the phase of bringing together a group of people called the Avengers. You familiar with the Avengers? Okay, the Avengers is this, this uh, superhero crime-fighting unit. They've got all of these different uh, people with different superhuman strength or super intelligence or super ability to shoot a bow and arrow is one guy. And like, this is the Avengers, and, and they are a part of this huge thing to, I guess, save the world from. From, from evil people. And so one of the main characters that's been developed throughout this series has been Captain America. And Captain America is the leader of the Avengers. And so what I want you to do, if, if you don't know much about Captain America or Cap, let me give you a little bit of a background on who he is before we get into the, the big stuff this morning. Basically, here's the deal. Before Captain America was Captain America, he was this little weakling guy named Steve Rogers, okay? And Steve uh, kind of grew up in the World War II era uh, and previously also. And when we kind of run into him, uh, World War II is in full swing, and the United States government is, is trying their best to deal with the, the Axis 
powers and to deal with the evil that's happening in the world. And so the military is developing some cool programs. And part of the programs that they're developing is something called the Super Soldier Program, okay? And so what they're doing is they're looking all over the military, and they're trying to find these candidates in the military that they can enlist in, enlist in this Super Soldier Program. Well, Steve Rogers really wants to be uh, in the military, and, and what you need to know about him is he's this scrawny, like, 60-pound weakling, okay? He, he's, 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 he can't do much athletically. He can't do much physically. He's not, very, uh, he's not very inclined to do much that you would think someone that was a super soldier would be able to do. Steve would probably be the last guy that anyone would choose for a super soldier program. But what we find out is that Steve Rogers has something else within him that's more than meets the eye. In fact, I want to show you a clip from the first Captain America movie just to give you a picture of who this guy Steve is. Let's check this clip out real quick. You're not really thinking about picking Rogers, are you? I wasn't just thinking about it. It's a clear choice. When you brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my army base, I let it slide. I thought maybe he'd be useful to you like a gerbil. I never thought you'd pick him. Stick a needle in that kid's arm, it's going to go right through him. Come on, girls. Look at that. He's making me cry. I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. Do you know how long it took to set up this project? All the groveling I had to do in front of Senator What's-His-Name's committees? Yes, I know. I am well aware of your efforts. Then throw me a bone. Hodge passed every test we gave him. He's big, he's fast, he obeys orders, he's a soldier. He's a bully. You don't win wars with niceness, doctor. You win wars with guts. Get away! Get back! Dummy grenade. All clear. Back in formation. Is this a test? He's still skinny. He's still skinny. Tommy Lee Jones is never convinced. No matter what role he plays, he's like, I'm a skeptic the whole time. Uh, and the rest is history. That, that skinny, uh, what do you call him, a 90-pound asthmatic becomes a super soldier. And through this process, they bring him into a laboratory, and, and, and there's this cool machine that he goes into, and, and he's injected with this super soldier serum. And he's able to contain it, and he becomes stronger and taller and faster, and he becomes a super soldier. And he goes on to be Captain America. Uh, he goes from being super normal to being a super soldier. And it's because of something that happened in him. It's something that was done to him, and he ends up being a, a very important player to save the world. You know, there are certain moments in our life that change us. Certain moments that just kind of shift something in us. They alter us. I've had several of those moments myself. Um, I've graduated a few times, graduated high school, graduated college, graduated grad school. And each of those moments or those seasons of my life, they changed me a little bit. Have you ever had that? You know, it's like, oh, wow, I can move on to the next thing. Uh, getting married was a big change. I started dating my wife in 1999, and I'm still learning, you know, as we go. And, but it changes you when you enter into a relationship like that. The first time I became a father. Man, it, it changed me. I remember just thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> like, but now my son is about to ten, turn 10 years old in just a few weeks, and I just think every single day I'm trying to make decisions to help myself be a better dad, and it's changing something in me. Uh, there have been you know, times where I've lost loved ones, 
And in those moments, something alters, something changes in you. There are moments and there are seasons of life that change us. I, I bet you've experienced the same thing, right? And sometimes uh, for you, maybe it was uh, you know, a moment that rearranged you a little bit. It was a relationship. It was a job. What event changed you? Sometimes the change for us is good, right? These some of the things that I mentioned. Other times it isn't so good. A lot of us talk about the addictions and the struggles that we deal with. Do you remember, those of you who have struggled with an addiction or still are today, do you remember the first time that you came eye to eye with that thing? That you had no idea it was going to change your life. That first drink of alcohol that you had. That first, uh, the first use of a drug. The first viewing of a pornography. Or the first telling of a little white lie. And, and then you had no idea how much it was just going to alter you completely and change and take over your life. And so there are moments and there are seasons that change us and they alter us. And many times it's the things that happen around us that completely change us uh, Captain America's storyline's gone all over the place, okay? And there's this new movie that just came out, Civil War, and I'm not even gonna get it, I'm gonna pretend like that doesn't exist. What happens though is throughout the story of Captain America's life, there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's his origin story. And, and it's, that's this that's the fact that Captain America once was just Steve Rogers, he was super normal, he was nobody from nowhere, and he was doing nothing. And then something happened, and he changed and became. Captain America, and the rest is history. At Venture Church, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And there's a topic today that I really, really want to talk to you about. Something that I actually, uh, I don't know that I've ever preached on it before or re really even had a formal out loud teaching about, but something that is pivotal to what it means to live for God. And I hope that you'll, uh, that you'll agree when we get to the end of this today. Um, it's the fact that God has not only the ability, but also a plan to help each one of us make a very specific change. And it's not just a superficial change. It's a change that goes spirit deep, okay? This is not like a, like a superficial thing. This is not like switching insurance to say 15% uh, or, or like switching your cell phone provider to get better coverage. Like this is spirit deep. This is really deep stuff. Um, and it's not something that, it's something that will change not only you and me, and it has, many of us, but it's been changing the world for over 2,000 years. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that thing. Uh, we are going to be in the book of John today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some that are scattered along under your seats right there. You can feel free to grab one of those. In fact, if you need a Bible because you don't own one or the one you have is hard to read, uh, keep the one that you find in here. You can have it. Um, look it up on your phone. I also have the scripture on the screen behind me. But we're going to be in John chapter 20. Let me tell you a little bit about John. Okay, The book of John is in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last third of your Bible. The New Testament of the Bible is all about the life and teachings of Jesus and the, the early part of the church and how it got started. Okay, And we're going to be in the book of John, which is a, a biography of Jesus' life and his teachings. And so it's a pretty cool place to be. We're going to be in chapter 20, which is near the very end. And what we're going to find is that right here in chapter 20 of John, a lot has already happened. Jesus has already come to earth. He's already done all this ministry. He's performed miracles. He's done all these things. And in the previous couple of chapters, Jesus had been arrested. He'd been crucified. And he'd risen from the dead. Okay? And, and that's where we find right there in John chapter 20. Quick time out, okay? I just said Jesus rose from the dead, all right? And you might be here today visiting, or you might be here, you've been here for a little while, and you've heard this thing about Jesus rising from the dead, and you're like, I don't know if I buy that. Like, that's, that's kind of one part of Christianity that I'm not sure if I can grasp, and I get that. That's totally, that's totally cool, because that's part of the growing process of learning and understanding God. I want to tell you about something real quick. Uh, we have a class that we offer once every semester called Venture Basics. Venture Basics is a four-week class, and it addresses a lot of questions like, where did the Bible come from, and is it reliable? And one of the questions that we spend a week 
on is the question of, did Jesus really raise from the dead? And would a rational, logical person actually believe that? And so if you're interested in that class, Venture Basics, would you make a note on that yellow card that was in your seat? Make sure you drop it in the bucket when you leave. Someone can reach out to you about it. But also on September 11th, here in a few weeks, we're going to be having sign-ups for small groups and some other things. And uh, you can also sign up for Venture Basics there as well. And the, and the class will start two weeks after that. So just want to give a quick commercial because that's a big deal. Understanding that Jesus rose from the dead, that's something that's heavy to swallow. But I'm going to tell you, I believe it, and I believe that it is something that a, a logical, rational person can believe. But back to our story. Okay, so we're in John chapter 20, and Jesus has just risen from the dead, but his closest followers, his disciples, they don't know this yet. They have not been made aware yet that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, they, they haven't verified it. They haven't seen it with their own eyes. There was someone that ran up to them and told them, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, but, I mean, you've been to funerals, right? And normally stays that way, right? Like, people don't raise from the dead. So these people are still kind of in a state of skepticism. Like, I'm not sure. So what they've done, is they've kind of huddled up in this upper room of a house together, and they've locked the door, and they're kind of going, what do we do now? Because Jesus, their leader, the person they had been following for the last three and a half years, is gone. And apparently what they were doing was illegal, because that's why the Jewish leadership arrested Jesus in the first place. It wasn't actually really illegal, but the Jewish leadership is like coming in and making a big deal about it, and that's why they executed Jesus. And they're trying to hunt down the other leaders of the group. Who were those leaders? The disciples. And so they're kind of huddled up. So that's the state we find our guys in, in John chapter 20, verse 19. Skip up to verse 19, and I'll have it here on the screen behind me. This is what's going on. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Imagine right now that you're in that room, okay, with these disciples, and, and you're scared and you're terrified. You, you call that the doors were locked and they're hiding out and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Their, their fearless leader was gone. And all of a sudden, you're talking about Jesus and maybe you're still crying and you're like, it was just so sad. Like, was, and all of a sudden, peace be with you. It's like, ah, Jesus is right there. Dad, how long have you been standing there? Like, don't do that, Jesus. And he just kind of pops out of nowhere and there's Jesus. And I don't know how he got in the room. I don't know like if he climbed in through the window. Like, I don't know if he had a spare key. I don't know. Some people believe he just miraculously appeared in the room because he's Jesus. He just rose from the dead. Like, what's going to stop him from doing that? Another theory that I have is possibly uh, that Jesus was with them the whole time. They just didn't notice him. Because there's another story. Just if you keep reading the story after Jesus rose from the dead, he's walking in the road with some people, and they were talking about uh, the resurrection. And uh, all of a sudden, Jesus speaks up, and the guys are like, and it says, and they recognized it was Jesus. So he was already with them. So it's possible, I don't know, that he was already there. I don't know, but somehow Jesus is just in this room and they're totally not expecting him. And so what does he say? Peace, be still. Which is another way of saying, relax, chill, it's cool, it's me. Like he's, he recognizes that they're scared and he says, have peace, be still, I'm here. And in verse 20, let's keep reading. After that, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I bet they were. Can you imagine? Someone that you love so much, someone that you had dedicated your whole life to, someone that you thought was dead, is now standing there right with you. Uh, they think he's a ghost. I mean, what, what else should they think, right? And so what does he do? He shows them his hands and his side because he had been uh, nailed to a cross and, and a spear had pierced his side. And so he shows them this. He's like, it's me. And then in verse 21, it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He's still calming them down, and then he gives them some instructions, and then this really cool thing happens. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, catch this, 
he breathed on them. Say it again. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Take that in, especially those of you who've been in church for a while. You might have never noticed this verse. This is a very big moment in the history of the world. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into the lives of these men. See, Jesus had already given these men some life-changing moments. I said there's moments that change you, right? And he's seen these moments. Like there was this moment where, where Jesus calls each one of them individually out of obscurity as fishermen or, or just marketplace people. And he calls them out and he says, listen, I've got a plan for your life. Come follow me and I will teach you all about it. And that was a moment that shifted them and changed them. It had already redirected their course. And there were moments when Jesus had done amazing things like done miracles. I mean, he had healed sick people and he had risen people from the dead and he had created food out of nothing. And like... That had changed them. There were a few of them, Peter, James, and John. They had actually seen Jesus take on a heavenly form in what's called the transfiguration. You should totally look it up. It's an amazing story. But it's when Jesus takes probably the most godlike form that he ever took in front of the the apostles. And there they were, and they got to see that. And, And that was one of those moments that undoubtedly changed them. That's not something that you forget. But of all these things, of all these things, These had all happened around them, in proximity to them. But what Jesus just did to them is something that changes them, not from the outside and not from perspective, but something that changes them from the inside. This is a new thing. This never happened before. It's something that happens in them and something that happens to them. Because when Jesus breathes on them, which might seem kind of strange, okay, like, just so you know, don't breathe on me. Like, I'm not a fan of that. My kids do it first thing in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> brush your teeth, right? If you're a parent, you're like, amen, preach, right? Uh, and, and it's like, uh, breathing on people is not normal, but if you look back through actually the history of creation and you go back all the way to the very beginning of the Bible where God created Adam and Eve, how did he kind of implant their soul in them? He breathed it into them. This is how God implants spiritual things, apparently. He does it to Adam and Eve with their soul. And here what Jesus does is he breathes and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in this moment, I am sure that the apostles are not completely positive what just happened to them. But as you read on and find out what they begin to teach about the Holy Spirit, we learn more and more. Uh, Talking about the Holy Spirit can be kind of confusing. And so what I want to do is kind of break that down for you a, a little bit. It's especially, uh, it's especially difficult if you've never been taught specifically about what is the Holy Spirit. First thing is this. I always refer to the Holy Spirit as he, as he, not it, but he, because the Holy Spirit is a person. And this is why. Uh, maybe you have heard of this concept, the concept of the Trinity, right? Something a lot of people talk about. Okay, here's what I want you to picture right now. Okay, first of all, this is basically understanding the Holy Spirit uh, in an easy way. The first way is this. There is only one God, okay? There's only one God. There's not more than one God. Holy Spirit's not a different God. Jesus is not a different God. There's only one God. The Bible clearly teaches that. Christianity believes that. That goes all the way back to the beginnings of Judaism. There's only one God. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But in his full presence, a human being could not survive. It's way too much. It's because his holiness is beyond anything that we could bear. He is so pure and so holy and so powerful that we couldn't be in his presence. But God loves us. And so he wanted to work out some kind of proxy by which we could communicate with him. 
Okay, and so this comes into phase two of understanding this, this Trinity idea. Okay, step down here, and there's this idea of Jesus. Jesus is often called the son of who? God, the son of God. That's a nickname for Jesus. But it's not a son of God in a biological sense, okay? He doesn't call him daddy, though he does call him the heavenly father. And so maybe there is even some continuation of that. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand all the deeper spiritual nuances of Jesus and God's connection. But here's one thing that I do know about this phrase, son of God. the, The original origin of that phrase is this idea, begotten of God, or from God, or of God. Jesus came from God. This The phrase son of God is one way of explaining where he came from, okay? So he's the son of God. And what happens is, and we learned this, for example, in Philippians chapter two, that God took the nature of a human man. God became man. And that in Jesus, the fullness of God's deity dwelt. This is scripture, all the things I just said of me quoting scripture, okay? And so Jesus is God in human flesh form, called the son of God having many of the properties of God, having the ability to step into the role of God anytime he needed to, that transfiguration thing I told you about a minute ago where the three uh, disciples saw him take a godly form. That's just an example of that. And he was able to know things that other people just couldn't know while he was Jesus. But also in Philippians chapter two, it says, he humbled himself and became a servant. And so there were some things that he didn't hold grasp to anymore as Jesus. So there's still God and he's still managing the universe but there is a portion of his identity that exists here in the person of Jesus. And there in Jesus, he decided to live a human life and experience things like pain and loss and birth and learning how to speak and walk. And in Philippians chapter 2, it also says he even became obedient, obedient to death on a cross. And he did that because in doing so, he could take our place, the punishment for sin, separation from God and death, physical and spiritual death. Now, here's the thing. Jesus dies, right? But Jesus is God, and you can't kill God. Why did Jesus raise from the dead? Because he was God. You can't kill God. He raises from the dead, and in doing so, he defeats the one thing that, that, that defeats us, which is the penalty for sin, which is Eternal death, spiritual death. So that's Jesus. Got it? God, we call him God the Father. Jesus, we call him the Son of God. But then over here, and this is proxy to God, we can, we can now communicate directly with God because Jesus came into the world and he gives us this. But then over here is this, this, third, uh, this third thing, and it is the Holy Spirit. See, just as each one of us has a soul that makes us who we are, that soul is our life force, that soul. I mean, if anything happened to you, you got a new haircut, or, 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 or you lost a limb in an accident, would you still be you? Yeah, yeah, because your soul makes you who you are. Well, God is also spirit. Again, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the deeper nuances of how God works, but this is what we learn from the Bible. God is spirit, and his spiritual self has a portion that interacts with us. In fact, we find throughout the entirety of Scripture that the most intimate way that God interacts with humans is through his spirit. He comes right down on a one-on-one level with us. And so that's an abbreviation of the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. There is one God. The Holy Spirit is not an invention of the church, and it's not something that only exists after Jesus. It's actually something that's been around since the very beginning of time. Uh, You you can look very, the very first verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We'll have it on the screen here. It says this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth, 
Okay, heavens and the earth, you get that. But verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And listen, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Why? Because God is spirit. That's just who he is. And the Holy Spirit, uh, for whatever reason, uh, reasons of his own, God has chosen to make his spirit the primary way that he interacts with people. Uh, He makes cameos all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, For example, you'll see... um, People do amazing things like communicate from God. There are prophets like this guy, Isaiah. Isaiah gets uh, the power from God's Holy Spirit to speak words and to share truth. And not only that, Isaiah is someone who actually predicts things about the future. He predicts things about Jesus 400 years in advance because God's Spirit came upon him. And then you have people who do miracles, like another prophet. His name was Elijah, but Elijah does some amazing miracles. And it says that the Spirit of God came on him. And that's how he was able to do that. Maybe you've heard of this guy, Samson. He's famous for having long hair and being really strong and then being duped by a female to have his hair cut and lose all his strength. But then he gets his power back and he's able to fight for God again. And it's an amazing story, but what it says is that the Spirit of God came on Samson and gave him his strength. And that's a cool story because Samson, if you read his story, if you've ever read the story of Samson, Samson's an absolute jerk. Like, this guy, like, he doesn't deserve to be listed in in the chronicles of awesome great people that serve God, uh, like many of us, right? But God still uses him to do some amazing things, and it's his spirit, God's spirit, that allows that to happen. And so all throughout the Bible, we see that God's Holy Spirit is present, but here's what's important to note. That in all of these times, it seems that God's spirit kind of comes around and near people, and it empowers them, but it's not something that happens in them. It's something that happens kind of to them and around them, but it seems that after the event passes, the Holy Spirit of God just kind of isn't as present for them. Now, again, I don't understand all the deeper nuances of God's Holy Spirit, but that seems to be the case until Jesus breathes on these guys. And then something entirely new happens. I want to teach you uh, uh, something that theologians theologians, uh, talk about when they talk about this in this, this phrase. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. That God's Spirit actually comes to dwell within the life, the body, maybe, I don't know how it works, of people who serve him. The indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a temporary interaction anymore. It's the moving in of God's Spirit to live alongside the soul of a person. And, and with that moving in comes a change. And that change specifically is the power of God. For the disciples, they're given a huge promise and a huge responsibility. Jesus says in verse 22b, maybe you caught this, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a, that's a verse that you might want to wrestle with sometimes. Like, wait a second, not only God could forgive sins. But Jesus empowers these men to go out and be his mouthpiece in the world. Because they're about to embark on the mission of starting the church. And the things that they say are going to matter for the rest of, of, of our lives, right? We sit here today, today in this room because of the work that they started. And it's because God gave them the, the authority to speak for him. He breathed on them. And their spirit, his spirit began to dwell within them. These guys go from being super normal to being super soldiers. Something happened in them that brought around change, not only in their own lives, but in the world. Which takes me back to Captain America. See, he's a hero's hero. He stands for good. In fact, one of the reasons he's one of my favorite characters is he's a a good guy. 
Like he really wants to do good. He's not power hungry. He's not trying to, to fake anybody out. He's just a hero's hero. And as the story plays out, we see him do some amazing things. But Captain America did not start out as Captain America. He started out as just normal, super normal, maybe a little below average in many ways. But because of something that happened in him and something that happened to him, he became a super soldier. And it completely changed the world that they lived in. The the, the church... The church, when I say the church, I want you to understand, almost always when I say that, I'm not talking about you, like this room full of people. I'm talking about the church around the world. The church around the world is the kingdom of God on this planet. It is his people doing his work. And as a kingdom, we face battle every day. It's spiritual battle against forces of evil that are there to shut down the kingdom. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, the apostle Paul refers to Christians as good soldiers. You realize that? If you're a Christian this morning, the apostles refer to you as soldiers. Why? Because there's a spiritual war happening. And we are in the kingdom of God. Also, later, the apostle uh, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he tells them, like, you got to put on spiritual armor. And he describes this armor. He talks about this helmet of salvation and this breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the, the spirit, which, which is the word of God. He talks about us, the shoes that we should wear, our feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. And all these pieces of armor, why? Because every day we face spiritual struggle and spiritual war, and we are soldiers in this battle. And there's no question that there's a spiritual battle raging all around us. And, and, and what I found is that either you fight in the fight or you become a target. Like, I don't know that there's another option. Because if you're just going to sit back and not fight, well, then, then you're a target. Or it's possible that you're fighting for the other team. And in this battle, God wants us to be prepared. And he wants to do something in us and to us to prepare us for the fight. And what he does is he gives us this arsenal of the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. The first time we see people get this outside of these apostles, uh, the, the normal, average, everyday Christian is in the book of Acts. And we just did this long series through the book of Acts uh, several months ago. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, we see in the very first church sermon preached ever, the apostle Peter is preaching. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it says that when the people had heard this, everything that Peter had said, when they heard about their sin, when they heard about Jesus, when they heard about what Jesus could do for their life, it says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said Peter, and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Like, they're heartbroken. They're like, we, we want to serve God. What should we do? And this is his reply. Peter replied, repent. I'm going to break this down as we go through it. He says, first, he says, repent. Repenting is this idea of turning away from sin and towards God. I'm heading in this direction with my life, but I'm going to turn around and I'm going to turn towards God. Repent. Repent and be baptized. We talk about baptism all the time at our church. Uh, last week, we had our, our 42nd baptism as a church, and we celebrate that number. Man, can we, can we clap it up for, for Adia, who was baptized last week? Yeah, and fantastic. So repent and be baptized, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and this is what happens in that moment, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because each one of us, as we gear up for this battle and we choose who we're going to serve, God's like, listen, I want to give you something. 
I want to give you my power in your life. Verse 39 says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. By the way, that's you. That's us. We're living over 2,000 years later, and it's still working. Did you see that? That when we turn to Jesus for forgiveness and we're baptized into him, we get the gift of forgiveness, but we also get the Holy Spirit, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, the power from God that moves into our life, something that happens in us and to us. We move from being a normal person to being a super soldier in God's army, and that's huge. And that's the thing that I want to make sure we understand today, that God moves in. And he changes us, and he gives us purpose, and he gives us a goal, and he gives us the ability to fight back. So that when we wake up to face the day, we're not alone anymore. I want to read some more from this guy, John, except this time in the book, 1 John. Okay, it's later on in the Bible. 1 John will be in chapter 4, verse 4. This is what John says. He says, you, dear children, are from God, and you've overcome them. He's talking about the evil forces in the world in that section. You've overcome them because... The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Yeah. Yeah, what are we facing? Well, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You can take this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, this is the apostle Paul talking again. He says in verse 11, And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. Listen, this is the same spirit it says in Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is given to people who choose him with their life. This is the power of God in our lives. Isn't that amazing? The same spirit, the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in those who choose him. And this is awesome news. It really is. But I want to share something. Something that I've learned, I think, one of the biggest struggles I've faced in my own faith walk, like as I've tried to be a better Christian or whatever that phrase is, like this is something I've noticed is that um, I choose Jesus, but then I still stink at being good. You with me on that? Like, I choose Jesus, and I really want that, but I, I still mess up, and I still have struggles, and I still have failures. And so I'm like, okay, wait, but if, okay, I got baptized, I believe my sins are forgiven, and, and so if the Holy Spirit is in me, if I have the power of God living in me, why is it that I keep messing up? Like, shouldn't everything just change? Because, like, in the Captain America story, like, if you saw that part where he turned into Captain America, you're like, dude, and then he's, like, just bench pressing buildings and stuff. And you're like, fine, yeah, you know? Like, how come, how come, when I got infused with God's Holy Spirit, how come everything didn't just instantly change for me? And I've thought a lot about that, and, and I've asked the question, like, did I do something wrong? Is anybody feeling that with me? Like, you just like, have I done something wrong? Did I miss out on something? Did I miss part of the instructions in the manual? Like, I, I feel like things aren't changing. And, and I got to tell you that I've learned something that I, that I believe is very helpful. That first of all, it is true. When God moves in, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, I need you to understand this. this is, I believe this with all my heart. I think that the Bible backs this up completely. That the change happens in you immediately. It's instant. Because in the mind of God, you are forgiven. And in the mind of God, you are spoken for by Jesus. Okay? In the mind of God, it's instant. The problem is, in our mind, it takes some adjustment. And the best way I found to describe this is to talk about it like getting a roommate. You guys ever have a roommate? Some of you still have a roommate? Don't look at them right now. You're going to hate each other, okay? <laughs> Dishes, <laughs> right? 
You ever had a roommate? Here's the best way I've learned to understand. It's like getting a spiritual roommate. See, God's spirit is taking up residence in your life alongside your spirit. So imagine that you've got a room that's all your own, okay? You've got it decorated like you want it. You listen to your music. You watch your movies. You got uh, your websites on the computer. You got everything set just like you want. You put your socks right there because that's where I want them. And I'm putting them right there. And I got my posters up and I got my friends coming over when I want to, right? This is my life, my world, my room, right? Suddenly, you get a roommate. Have you ever transitioned, especially people who got old, uh, married later in life, and maybe you were living as a bachelor or bachelorette for a while, you ever transitioned to f- suddenly having someone else's life move in with your life? You're like, ah, yeah, that, that, that doesn't go there. Uh, we, we put the remote control here. Just, oh, no, no, we do, yeah. It's, that's why we couldn't find, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why you never know where yours is, right? And then you're gonna fight, right? <laughs> And so, because when you move in, things change. Now, when they want to move in, it can be a struggle, especially if you want to be in charge. It's the poster on the wall, and what if the roommate comes in and says, look, you know, I don't think that poster is best for us. <laughs> I don't know that that, 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 that that movie is something that when people come in, I don't know if they want to just know that's like one of your favorite movies, because I'm just not sure, Right? And you're like, ah, yeah, that's where that poster goes. Or maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made in your schedule. Or there's some adjustments that need to be made in the type of movies that come on your television. Or some adjustments that are made in the type of people we allow into our house. Right? And if you kick against that roommate, things may not change. In fact, in roommate world, they're probably going to move on. (laughs) Craigslist. (laughs) Right? Anything could be better than this. When God's spirit moves in, he's in. He's in, and he's sticking around for the long haul, and he wants to be in your life. But here's the thing. As he brings that power into your life, he's not there to just sit by and watch you do whatever you want him to do. He's not there just to sit there and let you be what you used to be. And he's going to encourage you to change things. And he's going to encourage you to take that poster down and invite different people over and stop watching those movies and adjust the way that you treat people. And sometimes for me, the reason that struggle is so hard is because I'm not sure I really want a roommate right now. Not right now. Maybe later. Maybe when things are a little calmer. Maybe after football season, you know, whatever. But he's there to change your life so that you can share his light and play a part in changing the world around you. And not only that, he's not there just to point out how messed up your room is. <laughs> so, I mean, that's sometimes how, how we might feel. He's there to help with the transition. He's there to help you move. He's totally there to help you. The Holy Spirit teaches, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit gives us power over temptation. Do you know that? Because by myself, I'm like, I don't know if I cannot do that. God, a little help here? And we lean on him. It also teaches that he's there to lead us when we need to make decisions. We're told that he actually teaches us as we seek to know more about what God wants for our life. I've experienced this in my life so much. The Holy Spirit teaching me. And no, I don't get like a pamphlet in the mail. It's just like in this moment, like, ooh, light bulb. (laughs) Man, that makes sense, right? Anybody there with me? Have you had that experience? Yeah, you have. 
If you've got the Holy Spirit in your life and you're listening to him, the teaching happens. Sometimes he'll put people in our lives to give us encouragement or guidance. Other times he'll give you opportunities to be challenged or to grow. The Bible teaches us also these other uh, kind of pseudonyms, nicknames for the Holy Spirit. And these, these really help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. It says he's the advocate. Like he's standing there making intercession for us. He's, he's advocating for us to God. Uh, he's the counselor. Any ever needed a counselor? You might need one right now, right? He's the counselor. He says he's the guide. He's the intercessor. He's the teacher. Let me go back to intercessor. The book of Romans, uh, Paul teaches that the Holy Spirit can speak to God for us when we don't know what to say. You ever gone, you know, in prayer? I know I've, I've gone to prayer before. I'm like, I don't even know what to ask for right now. Holy Spirit's like, gotcha. <laughs> God, what he's trying to say is he's really stressed out and he doesn't understand how to communicate with whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's the intercessor and he comes and he communicates our heart to God for us. And, and one of my favorite things about the Holy Spirit, one of his nicknames is that he's the comforter. He's the comforter because when life gets crazy and it seems like there's no light at the end of your tunnel, you can know that you're not alone. And there's this peace that comes, and I think it is adequate that Jesus says, peace, it be still. Because that's what the Holy Spirit brings into our life. When the Holy Spirit moves in, you get the chance to live out the unique and amazing life that God created for you in the first place and that sin destroyed. And when he lives in you, he can then work through you. Because you've gone from being super normal to being a super soldier. In the time we have left, let me share you some more that John said. John was the one who wrote in, in John chapter 20 about the situation in the upper room where Jesus pops up. We also read a little bit from 1 John chapter 4. Uh, and so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 again in just a second. But, but how does all this sound to you? How does all this idea of the Holy Spirit moving to your life sound to you? Like, I'll be honest, if you, if you don't come from a church background or maybe you're just kind of here for the first time and you're like, ah, I've heard about spirits moving into people and I'm not a fan of that because they make scary movies about that kind of stuff. I'm not sure I want anything to do with that. I want to encourage you to learn more about him. Don't just invite spirits into your life. That is crazy, okay? It, people do that, and it's crazy, and it ruins things. Learn about the spirit who loves you, the spirit that actually is from God, the creator, the one true God. And, and I want to just invite you, to, if you're having questions and you're confused, here's what I want to invite you to do. Just stick around. Maybe come back one more week and hang out with us again. Uh, maybe for the whole Heroes series, we got, we got four more weeks of this going on. And, and just, just hang out and do that. And I think that you might be surprised what God has for you. That he can teach you. That even maybe he's not indwelling with you right now. One thing he's still really good at is giving you a little nudge, a little prod, a little conversation here, a little conviction there, a little moment of realization where you go, okay, I think I could do this. I think I do, could do this. Uh, I think you'd be surprised at what God's offering you. If you've already decided that Jesus is who you want in your life, and you've already decided to live for him, if you've already been baptized into his name, if you've already had your sins forgiven, let me give you some good news. You got a new roommate. He has moved in. And the question is, are you going to let him? And what are you going to do from that standpoint? Jesus goes to the disciples that night in John chapter 20, and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And guys, we are super soldiers in this city, the city full of darkness, the city full of brokenness, the city full of pain and hurt and racism and, and, and all kinds of upset situations all over the place. This city is full of it. And you know what Jesus is saying to each one of us? As God has sent me, so I am sending you. And so in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 this time, John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love 
comes from God. Quick pause. Love doesn't come from teenage romance. It doesn't come from The Bachelorette. I promise you that. Love doesn't come from any program on TV or any book that you read with Fabio on the cover. That is not where love comes from. Love's from God. And listen to this. Anyone who loves, like real love, sacrificial, lay it down love. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. (laughs) If you're not loving, how can you know God? It seems so simple, but to love God and others has got to be a priority. It doesn't happen accidentally. Suddenly loving becomes difficult. You've all faced people that it's hard to love, right? And isn't it crazy that when God says, I want you to go into the world and shine my light, the thing that he asks us to do is love? Let's look at the rest of this verse in verse 9. God set the bar. He said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There it is, Jesus. At the bottom of every teaching barrel from the Bible is Jesus. He's the foundation, he's the root, he's the purpose, he's the calling, he's everything. And Jesus says, I'm the proof of God's love to the world. And then in verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and that he is in us. What was he given us? He's given us his spirit. The indwelling gift of the presence of God, it helps us as we seek him. It teaches us. It guides us. It gives us the ability to shine light in dark places. And it gives us the opportunity to serve as super soldiers in the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to do that with me as every single day I try to let him move in (laughs) and let him take over. Let's pray. God, you're truly good. And uh, one thing Jesus said once is something along the lines of that you can tell a good father by the good gifts he gives his children. And that a good father wouldn't give his kid a stone when they ask for bread or a snake when they ask for a fish, but that you give us good gifts because you're even better than an earthly father. And this gift, your Holy Spirit, what a gift because it's you giving us a part of yourself. Lord, I pray that we can learn to live in that space and that uh, even now as you nudge some of us um, to just consider you and to think about you and maybe even to devote our lives to serving you. Lord, I thank you that you're there, that you are the comforter, that you are the teacher, that you are the guide, and that you are our advocate. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.